Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a brand new season of Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelski, and I hope you're enjoying listening to us in our brand new time slot here on Season 2 of the Nachum Siegel Network. During this recent holiday season, I'm sure you've all spent a lot of time, and I mean a lot of time, with family. You've endured hours of blissful Yom Tov singing, reading, playing games, davening, and probably just hanging out. But surely, spending so much time with family has undoubtedly been challenging. Three-day yuntifs here in the U.S. definitely lend themselves to families staying close together for long periods of time, with people feeling tired, edgy, they're working hard. But the recent Kalhana Arim got me thinking more about the long term than the short term. And as I looked at my children being held under the big talus, I wondered about the future and how my role as a parent is shaping the lives of these young people I call my own. As I looked around at my fellow congregants, I asked myself, are they feeling the same way? Was the wistful look on their faces one of contemplation, self-evaluation, or were they simply enjoying watching their children at this special and unique moment in time? Well, after the big honor was over and the singing of the blessing that Yaakov gave his own children was complete, My children came back to me, sticky from lollipops and giddy from sugar, and I began the fight, the fight about how they needed to be quiet and stop eating so much junk, as daily life came back with a boom and life's daily challenges reared their head. Coach Adina Letterer is an ACPI CCPF certified coach for parents and families who works with both parents and children to develop more effective skills and strategies in order to deal with life's daily challenges. Drawing on her experiences as a parent, teacher, and coach, Adina empowers parents to define and ultimately realize both short- and long-term goals in order to bring more harmony and balance to her client's family life. Adina currently also serves as the head of elementary support services at Yeshivat Naum in Paramus, New Jersey, and she joins us today, today to give us practical parenting strategies and tips. Adina, thanks so much for being here. Sure. Hi, Randy. So what does a parenting coach do, and how did you become a parenting coach? Okay. So I was teaching for many, many years. Um, for over 16 years I spent in the classroom, and for now for now, I've been spending the last 21 years as a parent. Um, my oldest is 21. My second one is 19. My third is 16, and my youngest is 11. And while I spent this journey of parenting and a teacher in the classroom, um, really getting to know each child and who they are, I spent many years tapping into and connecting with their strengths and ultimately helping them reach their full potential. And that's what my passion is about. Um, And so this coaching career really stemmed from my passion to help each child um, develop and grow and blossom and each parent tap into who their child is, connect and really bond with their child. And like you mentioned before, achieving long-term goals and not short-term goals. And how did you come up with the idea of connection parenting? Excellent. So connection parenting is really based on a book um, by the author named Pam Leo. Um, and her book is Connection Parenting. 
Connection parenting is parenting through connection instead of coercion, through love instead of fear. And again, by Pam Leo, who is one of my instructors um, for my program the, through the Academy of Coaching Parents International. Connection parenting really aims to enhance and facilitate building that relationship between parent and child based on respect, based on boundaries, love, and understanding, and tapping into who is this child and how do I parent them right now and how do I reach my long-term goal and stay connected with them throughout the years. Um, and my passion is really, A, being self-aware, who am I, how do I become in tune to myself so that I can become in tune to who my child is and help support them. And Yeah, my, uh, my question was going to be, how do you figure out who your child is? Right. So it's really taking a look first, I think, at who we are as a person, mm-hmm. accepting our own strengths and our own shortcomings so that we could thereby look at our child and get a sense of who are they accepting and accepting their strengths and their challenges. And... Understanding over the years and really looking at each child for who they are, um, getting to know those strengths and challenges, and then um, really tapping into that and seeing the full child, um, knowing they need to become who they need to become and not who we need them to become. I think that's such a hard thing for so many parents who see children um even as they get older, and I know you mentioned that you have a son who's 21, who's starting college, uh, it's so challenging for parents to see their children going in a direction that, oh, I never would have, you know, chosen that direction for myself, or going in a direction that they don't, they don't approve of, or they don't like, or how do parents reconcile that when they see, when they see their children going in a direction that is uncomfortable for them as parents? Right. So Not in a bad direction. Right. So I think once we're at peace with our own self, we have an easier time getting to be at peace with who the child is, number one. And number two is if we really take a good look at all their wonderful strengths and spend a lot of time with that child, doing different things with them over the years and getting to know who they really are, model for them, um, and let them be who they need to become, they will become the best of who they're capable of becoming. And it's not about getting to them to the point that we need to get them to mm-hmm. become, but it's helping them achieve their own goals through their own strengths. And the other big piece of it is um, really understanding that through each bump in the road, and there will be many on this roller coaster ride of life, um, and each challenge to look at it as a blessing. And I know it's hard to do that in the moment, but we see through each child and, you know, thank God I, I have four children who have each had, you know, their own challenges. And, and of course, with tremendous strength and motivation, you get through each challenge. I tell my children, life is like a ladder. We try to, you know, ascend as high as we can, but we're going to slip and fall. And when we do, we just climb right back up. And we, too, we have to know we're going to face challenges individually as an individual and as a parent and as a teacher and whoever we are to whomever we're taking care of at that moment. But those challenges are our blessings. They are our teachers. 
and of course, we're their teachers as well. Do you feel like you almost um, need to ask parents to drop a list for parents who have a hard time picking out their child's strengths because they're so focused on their child's weaknesses? Would it almost be beneficial to sit down and literally write up a list? Here are my child's strengths and here are my child's weaknesses so that I could help recognize that in them. So that's that's really um, an excellent idea. And, and one of the strategies that I recommend is to do such a thing, to really try to focus and zone in on what are their, what are their strengths. Are they good at helping put away the dishes? Can they help carry in the bags after a shopping trip? Um, are they, you know, the child you turn to when you say, wait, I forgot when that doctor appointment is. Or, you know, we need to get ready for Shabbos now. Are you going to be able to, you know, can you clear up this room? Um, it's, those are strengths. And it doesn't have to be that the, they know how to ice skate or they're the best at, you know, hitting that ball with that bat. But you need to tap in. Are they, are they good at drawing? Are they able to um, make friends easily? Are they able to climb easily? You know, each child has their own strength. And you have to figure out what that is. And then, of course, help them work through their challenges. Right. Um, the other thing I say is sometimes we get, I, I hear from many parents over the years, I've heard that it's very hard also to become close to that child because they're going through so many challenges and what we're doing is focusing on those challenges. Say, so write a list for yourself of all the things that you love about your child. Focus on what you love and you will see that every day that you're focusing on what you love about that child, you really will love them more and more instead of focusing on, you know, the difficulty and the obstacles that lie in front of that child and you. Right. But, and you brought up an interesting point that finding strengths in a child is not necessarily a, something big. Like like you said, it could be something as small as clearing off the table. That's right. You know, it doesn't have to be the big things that everybody else is looking at, and you know, that you right. think everyone else is looking you at. You can't in forget kids. about those little, those little things because those little things – lead to becoming bigger things for that child. Right. Especially for the child, I say, who happens to forget certain things in school, like a folder or a jacket we or a sweater. We know about that. You know? <laughs> I, I want you to tell those children every single time that they remember to do something, I want you to tell them, you have such a great memory. Do you see? You remember to put your shoes in the right spot. Or you put all the cups, you know, right away in the garbage. You remember that I asked you that. Or the child that maybe is a little disorganized. But once they're able to put all the silverware back, that was a great help. They right. were so capable. Right. And that will lead to becoming stronger in that area that is now a challenge, could become something they overcome and be stronger in. Right. And, and just getting so, back to what you said about connection parenting. So parenting through connection instead of coercion, mm -hmm. through love instead of fear. What does that mean? Okay. So let's go back to something you mentioned at the very beginning. Um Parenting is really about achieving long-term goals. There is no quick fix. It is hard work. No one tells us that at the very beginning, right, that we're not going to have a great time and it's not going to all be fun and games. Um, there should be plenty of fun and games. Right. And but, but parenting is really about achieving success with a child. The reward will come later. And... Connection through love instead of fear is really about those threats, 
the I'm candidate three, one, two, and then what happens? Mm -hmm. That's short term. Your child is afraid. Therefore, the child will listen. I can guarantee you. But that counseling is so effective. (laughs) In the moment. In the moment. In the moment, yes. And it doesn't lead to connection. It leads to fear. And what happens is that those threats eventually don't work. Mm -hmm. Okay? So A, they won't work. And B, we disconnect. And once we disconnect, we need to work on reconnecting. And really, um, the goals that I have in mind and the passion that I have for this connection is really based on looking ahead. And not today with my two-year-old. Of right. course, my two-year-old is going to come back and hug me, and right. I'm going to love them. We're going to be bonding. But I'm looking ahead. I'm looking at the teenage years. Can you give me an example? I'm going to take back your example of the, I'm counting to three. Okay. Because for me in my house, you know, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and that just happens to be very effective for me. Can you can give me an example of how I might be able to approach that um, instead of saying I'm counting to three? Let's say I want my child to go to bed. Mm-hmm. And she keeps coming out of bed and she keeps coming down the stairs mm-hmm. and whatever. So in the moment, I would say, I'm counting to three. By the right. time I get to the number three, I want to see you in bed. Right. And nine out of ten times, she runs pitter-patter right. to her bed. Can you give me an example of how I might be able to achieve that goal of getting her to listen to something practical, like going to practical, sleep or whatever, absolutely. without putting that, like you said, right. that coercion, place that idea. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm a big believer in setting goals with a child. So a small child, you're going to have some type of chart mm-hmm. where they could then feel their success and actually see it. So it could be a chart for each night of the week. Okay. And whatever that routine is, putting on pajamas, brushing their teeth, going to bed, saying Shema, whatever it is. And then at the end, they put a sticker on, mm-hmm. depending on the age. Okay. There could be pictures for the younger child, words for the older child. And they know it becomes a routine. And in addition, they feel good about themselves. And I think that it's very important for a child to really get a sense of good self-worth and good self-esteem and not needing you to do that so that they become independent. What's the reward at the end of the chart? So the reward at the end of the chart could be extra time with a mommy or a daddy on a Thursday night baking a cake for Shabbos. The reward could be Friday afternoon running to the store alone with you to pick out special fruit for Shabbos. The reward could be going with daddy to Home Depot to pick Mm -hmm. out the right light bulbs. You know, Um, the rewards don't have to be something luxurious and something so big. Those. Really, you want the reward to be more time with spent with you because right. the more time you spend with your child, the more connection there is. Right. We're talking with Coach Adina Letterer about parenting and about realizing short and long-term goals and bringing harmony and balance to your family's life. Where does self-worth and self-esteem fit into all of this for kids? Okay. So how do we raise, really the question becomes, how do we raise our children to become secure young adults? How do we raise children that will turn to you for love and support um, and want to be with you after they stop depending on you? Mm. So the first goal is to raise children with high self-worth and self-esteem. You know, children are not born with any beliefs. They learn their beliefs as a result of how we treat them. Mm-hmm. You know, I say how we treat them is how we teach them. So creating a child's self-worth is about making them believe about their worthiness. 
what they believe about how they deserve to be treated by the world around them. Right. And building a child's self-esteem is about making them believe how capable, competent, and valued they are. So that's where you say pointing out, you did a great job doing this, you were right. organized doing that. So I think that the connection is really developed through that strong self-esteem and self-worth. Um, and I would go and say, I believe more in descriptive praise than generic praise. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really important. Um, so some examples could be um, really tapping into what they've done and praising them instead of good boy, good girl, good job, but tell them exactly what they did right. And starting from the youngest child, you put your shoes exactly, you know, in the right spot in the closet. Um, and the older teenager, thanks for hanging up the keys when you came in from driving. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, for the younger one who's learning how to be toilet trained, you made it to the, you know, you made it to the potty crate. You know, that was so responsible. You're so grown up. You put uh, the older, you know, the child that's in third grade is now putting away all the, you know, um, glasses in back in the closet. And that was, you know, they were fragile. And you really did a good job in doing that. And I see that you're so careful and so capable. And I know I can count on you. They feel proud. Or the child that just did, you know, I always like to say when a child um, draws, to just notice. Describe what you see. They don't have to be the best at everything. They'll, you want them to eventually praise themselves, to feel good about themselves. And the way that they will do that is by giving them descriptive praise along the way. Right. I was thinking to myself when we first started on this topic of self-worth and self-esteem, I was thinking to myself, um, how do you produce a child with good self-worth and good self-esteem if it's something that you feel challenged about yourself? Mm. You know, many of us feel insecure in whatever areas we have. But the examples that you're giving me actually don't seem that difficult. It doesn't seem like the kind, like the kinds of things that we as adults face when we look at our own self-worth or our own self-esteem. You know, like you said, praising a child, you know, about a drawing that they did or whatever. It seems like something so easy. Do you think it's easy? I think you need to think about it. Mm -hmm. And you need to make sure you're doing it enough in the right way. And what I hear more often than not is great job when a child just, you know, finished eating their pizza. Why is that a great job? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I understand even if they're struggling eating, you're so happy that they finished that piece of pizza. You could just say, wow, you finished a slice of pizza. Right. Um, you know, or they are now able to climb up the monkey bars. You climbed up so high. Like just notice. Um, so they see on their own how far they've come. But I think you asked a great question. How do we, how do we help them raise their self-esteem and self-worth when, let's say, we're not feeling so good about our own self? Mm -hmm. That's why I started with our own self-awareness is really important. I think it's okay if we don't love everything about ourselves or we know, we know that we have challenges. We need to work on those challenges. We face them. But again, with our own selves, we need to look at the good. Right. What did we do right today? What are we, you know, what good things did we do? How did we help someone today? Um, instead of looking at maybe the negatives to really look at the positives. And I find with moms especially, mm -hmm. that's something that moms tend to do. Instead of looking at all the good we've done and how much we're accomplishing, we tend to look at maybe, well, before I really did yell at my child and I really shouldn't have, or 
I didn't, I didn't finish everything on my list. Right. Um, I wasn't in a good mood maybe when I woke up this morning instead of like patting ourselves on the back for saying all the right things to our child and helping them with their homework and studying for their tests and cooking, you know, healthy foods for them. <laughs> right. Um, but really, you know, understanding that by looking at our child and reflecting, yes, on ourselves, but they are not who we are. So right. we have a fresh start with them. Yeah, which is almost daunting, isn't it? It's a huge responsibility, huge job. But I don't want to scare anybody out there. Right. Do you <laughs> I think, find that yeah. some people um, project their own fears or their own feelings of self-worth on their children? Like, you know, for example, uh, there are some parents who maybe feel insecure in their own friendships so they project that onto their kids and they try to give them like strategies to be a better friend or fit into a better crowd uh, maybe not realizing that what they're doing is because of their own thinking and not Mm. because they're doing what's best for their child so I think it's really important when we're in a situation and we feel a little bit like maybe we're not feeling so good about this to really, that's when you really want to get support from, let's say, a friend mm-hmm. or someone that's already been through those types of experiences and talk it out with someone else. Um, because we do, I think, tend to get wrapped up in that emotional turmoil. And lo- very often our child can come up with their own solution right. um, to the challenge, especially socially, if we just help them and walk through it with them so that they can then resolve it on their own. Um, but I definitely think that parents, you know, will will project, will look at the situation as if it's their own situation and forget that it's not, and it is different. And we want our children to look at things with a healthy perspective yeah. and to be open-minded and not to personalize. So that takes a lot, especially for our sensitive children. Yeah. And we have so many sensitive children out right. there. Um, and, uh, we live in a tough world. Yeah. So we'd never want to take away a child's sensitivity. We just want to help them be strong enough to be able to cope. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, when you see a child acting out, what does that make you think about what's really going on there? Right, right. So a child's behavior is really a reflection of what they're feeling inside. For example, um, a child comes off the school bus, walks into the house, knocks over his little brother's tower that they just built. Or you say, you know, I made your favorite meal, spaghetti and meatballs. Oh, I really don't want spaghetti and meatballs. Um, often that mood is not about you or the little brother. It's what else is going on inside for that child. Um, so many things happen in a child's day. Um, especially a school-aged child where they start off either on the bus or in carpool and they need to be organized and listen and be prepared all day and um, be make sure that they're included in recess and sit next to their friend at, at, at lunch and answer the teacher's questions. And there's so many things that in the child's mind could go wrong or has gone wrong in their day that when they walk in that door, um, often they're hurt-filled so they want to hurt someone else. So really helping them learn how to express their feelings is very, very key. And um, 
I think if we also remember not to personalize, mm-hmm. it's not about your spaghetti and meatballs. Right. Okay. Um, you might have worked really hard on it, but it's really about helping them process whatever they experienced. Right. Which they might not even they might not at the even beginning totally what their mood is related to. And in fact, they might not even know about it because it could be that they're getting sick. It right. could be something that um, didn't happen, but actually is, you know, a natural cause. Maybe they are starting not to feel well. Maybe they have it. Maybe they didn't eat lunch. Right. Um, no. I always used to say when my kids were little, like, um, ha- happy children are well-fed and well-slept. Yes. Oh, yes. And then, you know, of course, it's one of the first questions I ask a parent when working with them is, how does your child eat and how does your child sleep? Right. Because we can't run without fuel, you know, you're not going to go drive your car without gas in it. So, too, our child needs the prop need. They really need their proper fuel through love, through connection, through food, through sleep. Right. And this Um, is a child of any age. I mean, age two to, you know, age 21. Uh Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because they go through different challenges at different stages. Right. And there's always something going on, whether that's social, emotional, their health. Um, academic, the pressures um, of making serious decisions from the, you know, from the smallest decisions of when they're young to the biggest decisions of when they're older. Um, these are these are really areas that impact their life and will really shift their mood, especially if they're not sleeping and eating properly. Right. Um, and that happens a lot in the teenage years yeah. when they're not sleeping and eating properly. Right. So that has to be ingrained early years. How do you figure out what's really going on? Like you said, um, right. when a child comes home in a bad mood or, you know, how, how does one sit down and have that conversation? Okay. So I think that it's important to let a child know that perhaps their behavior is not acceptable, but you're really there for them to talk when they're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the examples we, you know, we talked about a moment ago where, the child knocked over their brother's box, that really isn't okay, but I'm sure that it's because you're upset about something. Something else is going on. Right. So when you're ready, I'm here for you. If you want to go wash up, have a drink, and then hopefully they will be ready and available to talk to you. And that's why I say it's so important to connect and bond over other things. Happy times, cooking together, baking, doing laundry together, sorting the laundry together. Mm-hmm. You know, I say you could do that with a two-year-old child. Right. Okay. Um, and teach them how to sort the darks and whites, make it into a game. It's almost Everything. easier to do that with a two-year-old oh, than a 12-year-old. You got it. <laughs> but when doing it when they're two and four and six and playing games and doing puzzles and studying together and learning Torah together, you bond, you connect. So that when they are disconnected or sad or upset, they will eventually turn around and be able to talk to you right? and be able to really let out their feelings. Right. And um, what about the child? What, what do the children do before they're ready to talk? Right. So How do they manifest that behavior? Right. So, you know, I think it's important for a child to know what's acceptable, what's the yes environment, and what's the no environment. The no environment is obvious, right? We're not allowed to hurt anybody. Right. We're not allowed to, um, you know, walk around slamming doors or screaming. But what can I do? What can I do when I feel frustrated from the smallest child to the oldest child? Um, How do we cope with these feelings? So first, I think let's go back to our own feelings. Mm -hmm. So we get frustrated. We get sad. We get upset, disappointed, happy, excited. What do we do? So, A, it's about modeling. And, B, 
what do we model? What is real? In other words, what can we model that they will see by example? This is what I do when I'm upset and frustrated. And right. what can we teach them when they're not in that moment so that when they're in that moment, they can tap into those tools? So the first important thing, I think, is to validate feelings. Yeah. Always validate your child's feelings. Can you give an example of what you would say that shows a child that you have validated their feelings? Sure. Um I know that you're really, really upset and disappointed that you weren't invited to Sally's house for the party on Thursday night, but you cannot walk around the house screaming and slamming the doors. Mm -hmm. I totally get it. You're hurt. Right. But when you're ready, I'm here for you to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Now, what is the yes environment? I say, you know, teach children... We should have a punching bag somewhere in the house, mm-hmm. a trampoline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, young children like to play with putty. Um, writing is very, very helpful for, especially for once a child knows how to write, writing in a journal, drawing about their feelings. Um, I teach breathing techniques to calm our body down. And I, you know, I always tell ch- children once I teach it to them, practice breathing three times a day when you're calm so that when you're not calm, your body will know how to go into that breathing mode. Right. Um, I think that's really important. Is it important after all of these things, the the punching bag, the breathing Mm -hmm. or whatever, is it actually really important to then talk about what's bothering them? Or is it sometimes Mm -hmm. just healthier to let the aggression out and then move on? Right. So I think that's when it comes to really understanding who your child is. Mm -hmm. And there are some children that will do better once the aggression is out and maybe they mention one little thing to let it go. But some children really do need to like process it all, let it out. Sometimes there is no solution. We're going to have a teacher that we just doesn't click. We don't, it's just not, it's, it's not making me feel great, but Mm -hmm. guess what? We're going to help our child cope with that feeling. We can't always come up with a solution. There's going to be, you know, a friend who doesn't always include you. That right. doesn't feel good. Right. But what can we do about that? And um, for the youngest child, I know you're really sad that you couldn't have another cookie. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. I yeah. understand. And it's okay to feel sad right now. Like, I think that's part of also helping our children cope is learning that it's okay to feel sad or disappointment. For a few minutes, because then we move past it. Right. We don't always have to make everything okay. In fact, it's healthier not to. Right. And do you believe in the mantra that being sad about not having that second cookie and learning how to get over that sadness prepares you for when you apply for that job right. and you don't get it or you try out for the basketball team in high school and uh-huh. you don't make it? I say the little nose. Prepare us for the big nose. Yeah. The little nose, the little nose along the way, and the little disappointments lead to success with dealing with the bigger disappointments. Right. And there will be. Um, I think that the people that are most successful learned how to fail, pick themselves up, and grow and learn from that experience and become more successful. Interesting. And the children that have learned that they need to work hard to achieve great things. They learn along the way that when I'm, you know, throwing a curveball or I don't get the part in the play that I want or I don't get onto the team, guess what? I'm upset right now and I, that child might cry all night. 
Right. But tomorrow's a new day, and I still have friends, and I'm still a good person, and my parents still love me. And guess what? Tomorrow's another successful day with a new chance. Right. And life goes on. And the parents have to get over the disappointment, too. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then one day, when it's bigger things, and we can't get the job that we wanted, or someone says no to us, and we're let down, we'll know we're hurt, we're in pain, we're disappointed, what. Whatever we need to feel, and we need to feel it for however long we need to feel that, but we will overcome that and still be successful. Right. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to hear more from Coach Adina right after this.
Welcome back to Something to Talk About on a brand new season here at the Nachum Siegel Network. By the way, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, please do email me at randy at nachumsiegel.com. That's R-A-N-D-I at nachumsiegel.com. We are speaking today with Coach Adina Lederer. She's a certified coach for parents and families. She works with both parents and children to develop effective skills and strategies to deal with life's daily challenges. She draws on her experience as a parent, teacher, and coach, and empowers parents to define and ultimately realize both short- and long-term goals with the goal of bringing harmony and balance to your family life. Adina currently also serves as the head of elementary support services at Yeshivat Noam in Paramus, New Jersey. And we've been talking today about all kinds of issues relating to parenting, relating to children. And Adina, I was thinking to myself that many of the things that we discussed so far today revolve around, you know, our own children. But how often do we act like our children do in an adult way with our own parents? Hmm. You know, so many of these things are, are things that we, that we do ourselves, even in our, as parents, we are also children as well. Um, I was brought up, I was remembering a, a little anecdote that I heard and I wanted to sort of get your feedback on this. Um, so, a little child comes off the bus from school, comes home, walks in the door, and mommy's on the phone. And little Maishi wants a snack. And mommy says, just a minute, Maishi, just a minute, Maishi. And does Maishi really understand, like, what a minute is? No, but he knows mommy wants him to wait. So he goes and he does something, and mommy's on the phone. And um, Maishi says to himself, you know what? I really want a snack. I really want a snack. Maishi goes into the snack closet and tries to reach for the snack all by himself. Mommy, mommy. And mommy says, Maishi, I'll be right there. Just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. Meantime, Maishi, of course, goes to the snack cabinet, climbs up a few shelves, tries to reach to the top to get the snack that he wants, and boom, everything comes crashing down, making a humongous mess on the floor. Mommy runs to the snack cabinet. Ay, Maishi, what did you do? And then says to her friend on the phone, I gotta go, and hangs up the phone. When I heard this anecdote, the lesson that came out of this anecdote was all Maishi wanted was for mommy to give him a snack. And, you know, parents have a hard time juggling all of the things that they need to do in their day for their kids and for themselves. Right. And in this anecdote, this was Maishi sort of reaching out to mommy. And then what came out of it was Maishi learns that if he makes a mess, mommy will come. So long as he's a good boy, and he waits his turn, then mommy keeps saying, one minute, one minute. Mm. What do you think about that anecdote? A few thoughts. First, you know, children that are seeking attention are seeking connection. So when Moishi comes off the bus and says he wants a snack, he probably really does want a snack. However, more than the snack, he really wants you. 
Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what our children really want the most is for you to be listening to them, mm -hmm. to hear them. You know, sometimes my kids will say, I know you're listening, but do you hear me? Right. Because we become distracted. Um, we have so many responsibilities and so many things to take care of. And sometimes we're not really listening. Um, and they want, they want that attention and connection. And so, you know, I think that I've, I always tried my best when my children were younger and even now to really try to do whatever I could, A, to fuel myself for my emotional fuel right. so that I could be emotionally prepared to take care of their emotional needs. Right. And in addition to that, to really try to do whatever I could before they came off the bus. Mm -hmm. And we can't always finish it because our lists are endless, but maybe save something some things for later to do. Right. But at that moment, to try to be there for our child. And if we can't, then we have to plan for that. Mm -hmm. And that really is about setting up expectations and letting our child know things in advance. Right. Like, obviously, the four-year-old will not remember that when they get off, well, most four-year-olds will not remember when they get off the bus that you told them in the morning, that when they get off the bus this afternoon, you're going to be on the, a really important phone call. Mm -hmm. um, but a 10-year-old can understand that. Right. And a 10-year-old can understand that I am committing to you that I'll be on the phone and here's what you can do while I'm on the phone. You can go and, you know, take a snack out of the snack closet or take a fruit or I'm going to leave fruits out for you and start your homework. And then at 4.30, I'll be off and I'll be able to give you my attention. Right. But letting a child know, and even a 4-year-old and 5-year-old know that you're right. The 4-year-old doesn't understand one minute, one minute, one minute, but you can put on a timer you can, you know, uh, I always say purchase sand timers that are like one minute, three minutes, five minutes, so a child can see. Mm -hmm. I'll be done when this timer is upside down. And you tell the person, hold on for a minute. And you show them. Right. And always giving them something to do, you know, like a to-do box while you're busy, a project of something to draw, of something to play with. So that they're busy while you're continuing your conversation. That is obviously so that's important. A, that's a great strategy. That's probably something that most people don't right. think about. Right. That's also a great strategy for homework time, for the children that are not doing homework, mm -hmm. to have sort of a project homework box so they feel included. Right. So that the children that are doing their homework, and you might need to be helping more than one child at a time, right. they're also able, and I say, you know, put um, Play-Doh in there, a beads project if they're old enough. Um, markers and a piece of markers, paper. Markers, crayons, paper. You know, whatever it is that they like to do, weaving, um, needlepoint, whatever that child and whatever stage they're up to so that they're busy. Mm -hmm. And when children are busy with their hands and involved in something, they behave better. Right. <laughs> and children that get our connection, by the way, and attention also behave better. Children that are, you know, seeking connection, seeking attention often, you'll see children that are hurt. Full children mm -hmm. or hurt-filled children. Interesting. And so they're seeking out attention in negative ways. But when we give children attention in positive ways often enough, they will not seek it in negative ways. Wow. Interesting. So we were talking before also about the emotional needs of a child, and that goes right into what you just said about the hurtful child who feels hurt-filled. Um, is it who meets whose emotional needs? Hmm. Is it the child who's meeting the adult's emotional needs or the adult who's meeting the child's needs? How, right. how does that work? Right. 
So it's our job as adults to meet our children's emotional needs. Our child wasn't put here to, you know, deal with our own challenges and emotions. I think it's very healthy for a child to know that we too get stressed, that we too have responsibilities, that at times we feel overwhelmed, but it's not their role and responsibility to take care of that for us. Right. And so we have to figure out what are our outlets, where is our fuel coming from? Is it, you know, making sure that we talk to a friend every day? Is it making sure that we're getting our exercise or that we're eating right? Is it making sure that we are able to catch up on our work at a time of day where maybe um, it won't interfere with our child care? Are we getting to the doctor appointment that we need to get to for ourselves right. and not forget about ourselves um, so that when our child is with us, they're not you know, comforting us. And, you know, obviously as our children get older, they could be there for us in different ways. Um, but I think it's important to understand that um, we need to be there for them. How do you a- approach a child when you do feel hurt by something that they've done or, you know, they've actively chosen to be with the other parent and it hurts your feelings that mm-hmm. they want to be with the other parent and not with you or they do something that 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 hurts you. How do you how do you approach that with a child? Right. Even so, as a parent of teenagers, I'm sure that you know that's something that parents of teenagers feel. Right. So I think it's great. The first thing is it's positive if a child feels close to two parents or to grandparents, um, or to you know or prefers to talk to dad about certain things versus mom um, or a sibling. I think that's healthy. Mm-hmm. Not always to turn to that same person, mm-hmm. um, but to feel close enough with different members of the family um, to turn to different people at different times. But I also think that it's very productive to tell a child, obviously, that's, that can understand and have a conversation with you about what they did and how it might have been hurtful. That they use, the words that they chose to use mm-hmm. were hurtful, but not to tell them in an angry way. That will not be productive. I would say, you know, with our children, with a spouse, this is not about who's going to win. If you're playing to win, you're always going to lose. Especially with a teenager where there's such a fine line in that disconnect and connect. And that thread could break so easily. Always maintain connection. And so even if it means, I believe, biting your tongue, telling them how it made you feel. In a relationship, it's important to tell someone how you feel. And then letting it move on because a teenager who's close with you will apologize. And even if mm-hmm. it's not in the moment, they will. And it also may lead them to tell you what you've done to hurt them. Right. And then you can have an honest conversation. And we need to apologize when we've done things wrong or we weren't there for a child when we needed them or we didn't respond appropriately or were we really looking at our Blackberry instead of listening to them, right. you know, and told them we really heard them, but we really didn't. Right. Um, so I think it goes, you know, it, it, it goes into so many different directions, but to really be able to be that parent and model when we make mistakes, we apologize. Right. We normalize those mistakes. And, the, you know, I see in school the children are able to say they're sorry for knocking over the other child's books or pencils. They say they're sorry. They pick them up. They move on. Right. And another child will react and say, I didn't do it. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't yeah. do anything wrong. But it, nothing terrible happened. Nothing terrible happened. 
we just say sorry and pick them up. But for some children, that's very, very hard to do. I think the more that you hear that at home and you acknowledge mistakes are normal, the child then learns that's just part of life. Right. And it's okay. Right. Um, and every little interaction that you have with your child about that contributes to the long-term picture of your relationship with your child and the development of your child as a, as a person. Absolutely. Uh, They, they mirror right back. Yeah. That reflection of all the good and all the bad. Right. And when you say thank you to the person who just, you know, at the toll booth, and when you open the door for the person behind you, mm-hmm. and when you bring a meal to someone who's in need, or you go clean up a shiva house, or you set up a shiva house, or you put away the Sifri Torah at the end of Yantif, or you say please and thank you to your spouse or to your parents when they've done something kind for you, and have Hakar Satov, they too will do that. Right. Um, and when you scream, <laughs> and sometimes lose it, right. um, they too will do that. Right. And I remember when I first started to do my lectures on parenting about six years ago, um, my daughter would always say to me before I left, she said, you've always told me, if you believe it, you could achieve it. Uh-huh. She was on a basketball team. And I'd say, if you believe it, you could achieve it. If you, or if you studied for a test and you worked on your material, it's all up here. It's in your mind. Yeah. You know, and so they mirror back to you and they, they say those words to you. Um the good and the bad and then we learn to accept and work on ourselves and that's what i say you know it's it's a work in progress our parenting right it's always always <laughs> a learning experience right i've been doing this for 21 years and every day i'm learning yeah every day so somebody once told me something very interesting um when you talk about modeling you know how often do we as parents say say thank you to the lady for giving you a candy and some of the children are just too shy to do so they just so somebody once told me that as a parent you can say would you like me to say thank you for you mm-hmm. and then you know the child says yes and then the child hears that you're saying thank you on their behalf though they were too shy to do it and then eventually they'll get up the nerve to do it themselves right so actually Pam Leo talks about that in her book and uh, feel strongly about modeling that for mm-hmm. the child that can't yet handle that. And so I think it's important to role play at home right. before you go places. But some children are more reserved. I don't mm-hmm. like to use the word shy, but mm-hmm. more reserved, more right. quiet. Um, they need more time to mature. And some children are able to just walk up to the stranger, shake their hand and say, good job. Right. <laughs> I think that we have to go with who they are, but you're right, always modeling it. And when you leave the person's house with your child, you say, thank you so much. We had such a great time and they'll hear it. And ultimately they will say it because it's modeled for them so often. Right. I, I think about that a lot. Also, when, um, when we visit the grandparents, I think it's very, very important, and I model this for my kids, but ultimately I don't think you could force it upon a child to give their grandparents a hug and a kiss when you see them. And kids who have been doing it as little kids, I think eventually as they get older, will will do that naturally. And I think, and I wonder if you agree, that at some point, like, if they're if they're actively going and making an effort to walk over to the grandparents and say hello, and even if it comes without a kiss or a hug and it's just a hello and a how are you, I think ultimately that will contribute to a long-term relationship as well. 
even if it's a grandparent that they don't see that often, that they don't have a chance right. to cultivate that relationship, I think even the superficial saying hello and coming out of your comfort zone to do that will help cultivate that relationship. So I think that, you know, I used to, we used to talk a lot about this and discuss this um, in my enhancing motherhood groups. Um, with the pet with well the enhancing motherhood goes with moms but even when i spoke with moms and dads i would talk a lot about this is a big issue for some parents mm-hmm. the children that don't feel like they really it doesn't feel so great to get that hug or give that kiss what can we do to develop a close relationship whether they live far away or i don't feel so connected to that person i think it's important to figure out what can how can you connect does that grandma grandpa collect stamps could that be our bond can Mm -hmm. we call every time we find a new coin um could there be a special handshake Mm -hmm. um or you know not necessarily a tight hug but you know some kind of like hitting you know our arms clicking together or something like that to show we have some type of relationship there are certain children that are more sensitive um due to their sensory system due to whatever you know whatever the causes that it just doesn't feel right so develop a different way. It could right. be a phone call. It could be like a little letter, a heart, a picture. Um, and as they get older, they'll find more ways to connect with that grandparent. Right. Um, and I think a grandparent-grandchild relationship is so important mm-hmm. and could have such a positive effect on the child's life um, based on the wisdom of the grandparent, based on their experiences, based on their talents. And so... I think just developing some type of relationship with the grandparent in a way that they both feel comfortable with will be the healthiest um, for both the child and the grandparent. Right. I think sometimes um, grandparents are just not, and I'm not talking about my own parents. I think sometimes (laughs) in general grandparents are not always so proactive also in creating um, a relationship building experience with their grandchildren. And I think this is where parents could make it easier for, you know, their own parents to get together with their children by, let's say, inviting the grandparents to go apple picking with them or getting tickets to a show and sending the grandparents with the, you know, with the grandchildren and sort of helping that relationship along in a place where, you know, the grandparents might not sort of be proactive about doing that. Absolutely, to help foster that relationship. And so if you know your child, let's say, loves doing Lego, Mm -hmm. have them take them to the Lego store and build together there. Or your child loves reading books, have them take them to the library. Your child, um, you know, likes to go ice skating. If grandma and grandpa still ice skate, that's wonderful. You know, we have young grandparents today who are very active and doing so many fun things with their grandchildren. Sometimes we need to plant those ideas and help foster that. And I think that that is completely fine. Yeah. You know, the grandma or grandpa loves to go see certain shows. Well, so does this specific grandchild. That's the other thing. It doesn't have to be all the grandchildren. Mm-hmm. It could be different things with different grandchildren. For one grandchild, it might just be cooking together. That makes them happy. Right. Um, and, and for another, it might be, you know, letting them know that this musical is now playing on Broadway and, <laughs> you know, and, and Rifke really, really wants to see this show. Right. So um, setting that up, I think, is sometimes very helpful. They don't always know. Right. Um, and they might need some ideas along the way. I, I want to switch topics now because we've just got a few minutes left, and I think that this topic is very important that we just have a couple of minutes. How important is it, is it to set expectations for your children um it is really key in our effectiveness as parents in our parenting from morning routine 
to the afternoon routine to bedtime routine when we start you know we talked about that at the very beginning um we need in order for our children to cooperate better we need to tell them what to expect Mm -hmm. um as best as we can when we know what to expect in advance we feel better and calmer and behave better and so when a child knows that we're going shopping and we know that our children are going to want a snack when they get to the snack aisle. That's just how it is. <laughs> right. So they have to know in advance. Here's what's going to happen. We're going down the aisles. We're going to put all the things in the wagon that are on my list. When we get to the snack aisle, you can pick your favorite snack. Put it on the very top. And after we pay, you can open it and have your snack. We're going to put all the things in the wagon. And drive home. Right. And then if we expect our children to help us unpack the groceries, we can include in that. But in other words, step by step. Um, a while back, I, ha- I worked with a family, and I remember carpool time was a difficult time mm-hmm. day. So the family would practice it just on their own. Exactly what behaviors were allowed, what wow. was not, what we were going to do, drive to the school, come back. So, you know, the same thing with the morning routine could start with a chart, but, you know, different children need reminders. Right. So whether it's getting dressed, eating breakfast, putting our things, you know, getting our things ready in advance the night before is mm-hmm. huge. So we're setting up our expectations for the next day. We are going to school tomorrow, whether we like it or not. Right. And we have our clothes out and we packed our school bag. We can start our day off in a very positive way. And what happens when we come home? Do we just run in and do whatever we want, or is it homework time, then break time, dinner time, right. go back to finishing our homework? What to expect out of our day? Who's going to be there when we come home? Maybe mommy and daddy are still at work. What happens when I come home to the babysitter? Is that playtime? Is that homework time? Do I call my mommy or daddy, talk about my day? Do I send them an email? Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different ways today that we could communicate with our children. And I think we need to take advantage of the positives in that and not look at the negatives and, and really figure out how are we always staying connected, uh, motivating our children and setting up those expectations so they feel good about themselves and they cooperate and, and work better with you as a team. I like right. to, you know, tell our children we're a team and we need to work together in order for things to, you know, to work and right. for us to be able to have fun as a family, we need to work together as a team. Right. Um, literally just a minute left. It's okay to say no? It's so okay to say no. <laughs> it, you know, I think for very, very young children, I'll quickly say, you want to minimize the no's. And you want to say, we can read another book tomorrow. On Wednesday, we're going to have another ice cream. We don't always have to say no, because then they hear no, 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 and they shut you off. Yes, that's right. There are other ways to communicate no. However, as they get older, they're going to hear no sometimes. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to hate you forever. They're still going to love you. In fact, one day they will love you more. (laughs) Because you taught them that there were boundaries in life. Coach Adina, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. Is there a good place where people can reach you with questions directly? Sure. Sure. Uh, My email address is coachadina. My personal email address, coachadina at gmail.com. C-O-A-C-H-A-D-I-N-A at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Right. And uh, thanks to all the listeners for joining us today. Today, we hope we've given you something to talk about right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Let's give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. Let's give them something to talk about.